danger is stealing in as relapse sums above the den. It's hard to know if this will Hello and welcome to episode 357 of the Thinking Poker podcast from Owings Mills, Maryland. I'm Andrew Brokus. I will be joined shortly by today's guest, Santiago Garcia Mancilla, who is in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Very excited to talk to Santiago. He is one of my favorite people I've met in the poker world. Uh, absolute delight to be around, absolute delight to talk to, and one of the most knowledgeable people probably in the world about poker books. Uh, author, the author of a poker book uh, himself, Cuentos y Relatos, uh, which is uh, unfortunately available only in Spanish. Um, Hopefully we can get that translated into uh, English, but I believe it translates to something like uh, stories and tales or something like that. Um, And uh, it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a book of short stories of fiction, but many of them based on uh, real events related to poker. Uh, He actually is the co-author of that book, so we'll talk some about that. Um, Santiago is also part of the Pokerlogia team, which uh, covers live uh, poker events in Argentina and elsewhere. Um, He's been doing that since 2009. He provided live coverage of the WSOP main event in 2015 and also also 2019, uh, which is when I met him. And... um, yeah, just uh, just a, a great all-around guy, and I look forward to introducing him to you later on the show. I uh, do have a strategy segment first, of course, and want to let you know that if you enjoy these strategy segments and you want to hear a lot more of them, you can get one five days a week by supporting this show on our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash thinkingpokerdaily. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash thinkingpokerdaily. And you can get access to up to five strategy segments uh, from some combination of myself, Nate Mavis, and Carlos Welch each week, uh, and also support the podcast while you are doing it. So I greatly appreciate all of you who have done that already. If you haven't, I encourage you to go check that out. I think it's a great value for you and uh, is definitely useful for us in order to keep the free show going. Uh, This strategy question comes to us from Ian, and I'm actually going to paraphrase it a little bit because he asked about it in the context of a specific hand, but I think that the specific hand is is not um, terribly important, but the the question was just kind of about... uh, when to pass up an edge in, in tournaments. Uh, you know, the idea, if this is a soft field, uh, you can kind of continue to accumulate chips maybe without getting all in um, or, or with, you know, without taking a, a, a big risk of elimination. And so, you know, how should you make these decisions of uh, essentially valuing your tournament life? You know, to say, even though this might be a plus chip EV play, um, how should I think about, you know, maybe it's not worth the risk and I can find better plus chip EV plays by just folding now and, and trying to um, continue to, to play later. Uh, so basically what he said is, um, is there a way to gauge your edge uh, to justify folding? Um, in, you know, in, in, in a spot where your tournament life is on the line. 
Um, I would say the, I mean, the short answer is yes. Uh, I have a video series on Tournament Poker Edge, which gets to this a little bit. Um, it's called Getting Off on the Right Foot. It's about thinking in terms of EV when you're playing tournaments, as opposed to um, thinking in terms of just like, you know, winning the tournament or something like that. Um, I, I get into the topic a little bit there, but you know, basically you can measure your win rate in a tournament the same way that you can in, in a cash game or try to estimate it the same way. So I think most people are familiar with this idea of big blinds per hundred as a win rate, um, and you know, cash game players certainly are familiar with it. In tournaments, you know, big blinds per hundred is not the only thing we care about because uh, you know there are things like ICM and, and stuff like that. But essentially, big blinds per hundred is a measure of like for every hundred hands that you play, how many big blinds do you win on average, and that's a more useful stat in cash games because the the situations are more similar to each other like you know if you play 50,000 hands of online cash no limit hold'em those 50,000 hands are like they're fairly like they're often played with similar stack sizes they're played with similar number of players at the table Um, they're not usually played with uh, antes often they're played against you know um, a field of of many like you might play with the same person thousands of times over the course of those 50,000 hands so they are a little bit more like comparable to each other even so like if you have a big enough sample size of, of tournaments you can start to get a sense of you know what it what does your win rate look like in tournaments i will say i mean you can at least get a sense of like what are the what are the bounds <laughs> like what kinds of win rates are, are reasonable and i think this is where um this is really what we're interested in anyway. You know, I, I think one thing that happens a lot in tournaments is people get into spots and rather than trying to figure out the actual EV of, you know, like they're facing, they, they raise and then somebody jams on them. And like, rather than trying to actually figure out the EV of the call, they'll, I think it, it's, frankly, it's kind of a lazy approach. You know, they'll just kind of shrug and be like, well, I don't want to risk it. I can accumulate chips more. you like, you know, I, I have an edge, so I don't want to risk getting eliminated. I'm just going to fold this. Um, I, so I think it's, it's first it's worth figuring out like how much would it be worth to you to call so you should know how to do that and I definitely I talk about how to do that in that getting off on the right foot um, series but basically it's just a matter of looking at your pot odds compared to how much you need to call and, and uh, you know assessing your equity versus the opponent's range um, so I think first you need to put a number on like what is it worth to me to call and something to understand is that it, you know, even calls that might not seem like they're worth very much, like maybe you're facing a 25 big blind shove and calling only has an EV of like plus half a big blind. So well, why am I going to risk 25 big blinds to try to win half a big blind? Winning half a big blind in a single hand translates to 50 big blinds per 100 hands played. Okay, a win rate of 50 big blinds per 100. That's an astronomical win rate. If you could actually win half a big blind every single hand that you played, you would be the greatest poker player in the world, <laughs> and, and by a wide margin. Yeah, I think in, in, in online poker, like win rates are often in the single digits, sometimes the low double digits. Live poker, you might see people putting up much higher win rates because the games tend to be a lot softer. Um, you maybe you could, I mean, there are people who are claiming I mean, they have win rates of like 30 big blinds per hundred in, in some live, uh, soft live games. I'm a little skeptical of, of some of those claims. It's not impossible, but um, in any event, like 50 big blinds per hundred is, is an astronomical win rate. So uh, I think that the bottom line is a lot of people in, in this conversation about when to pass up an, an edge, we're really talking about much smaller edges than this. Um, and this, you know, the other thing that, that's tricky about tournaments is your edge tends to get smaller as the tournament goes on. 
right? When you enter a tournament, there are a lot of weak players, hopefully, you know, if you're choosing your tournaments well. When you like, so like this, this uh, hand from Ian that he sent in comes from a $5 tournament. Um, and you know, a five dollar tournament, there are going to be some professionals and some serious players playing these five dollar tournaments. But there's also a lot of really weak players playing. And so, what tends to happen over the course of the tournament is, you know, the the field at the start of the tournament is a lot softer on average than the field when there are only fifty players left. But like those fifty players left, not that you know, sometimes the weak players, of course, get lucky and, and they make it into the top fifty. But on average, the players who are still around when the field has been whittled down from five hundred to fifty, I mean, they're they're better than the average player who started the tournament. So even if you had a big edge when you entered the tournament, you don't necessarily have a big edge when you're down to fifty players remaining. Um, the other thing to consider is that edges tend to get smaller as stack sizes get smaller. Um, this doesn't have to be the case. Uh, if your opponents like fold way too much when they're shallow or something, like you could have big win rates when when you're shallow. But in general, it, it tends like I mean, there's just if if you're 300 big blinds deep, it's a lot easier to win 30 big blinds <laughs> than than when you only have 30 big blinds. Um, so it, you know it. Um, it, I think it's it's also easier for your opponents to play somewhat correctly when they're shallow. Which again, like if they don't do that, if they are absurdly too tight and they're just like you know f f blinding themselves down, like you can have pretty big win rates even when you're shallow. But in general, like you know, it's pretty easy to just like look up the right play or kind of intuit the right play when you're shallow or you know, a play that is close to right, where your opponents aren't going to be making massive mistakes when they only have 15 or 20 big blinds left. The way they might, you know, at the start of a tournament when they have two, if they just you know sort of. Um, I mean, just imagine a really bad strategy of going all in blind. You know, when you're 200 big blinds deep, a strategy of going all in blind is a massively losing strategy. When you're 20 big blinds deep, you know, it's still not good, but you're not losing anywhere near as many big blinds as you are when you're, when you're 200 big blinds deep. So just in terms of big blinds per hundred, uh, your win rate tends to get lower as the tournament goes on. So the bottom line is I think a lot of people drastically overestimate how much continuing to survive in the tournament is going to be worth to them. Um, because they overestimate their edge relative to the field, they think about it in terms of what was my edge at the start of the tournament rather than what is my edge going forwards, you know, against the the, the field that now remains, um, and also are not thinking about how difficult it is to have a big edge when you're down to only like 15 big blinds, and if you have. Um, I mean, you're like a tool like Poker Tracker, you can use filters to look at uh, your win rate by stack size. The only problem with doing this is that you know it's going to break it down into like 20 different tiers of, of stack sizes. And once you do that, even if you started with a big sample size, like you start with a 100,000 hand sample size, once you break that down into 20 tiers, you're often going to have only like five or 10,000 hands at each at each stack size. So you, you you still, even with a big sample size to start, you don't necessarily have a big sample size for each um for each stack size. So it can be pretty difficult to get like hard data on what your win rate looks like here. And that's why I'm not, I'm not really concerning myself with how to measure your exact win rate. I'm more just telling you like what kinds of win rate, like I, I think you should probably just assume your win rate is somewhere between zero and 10 big blinds per hundred. Um, or maybe, I mean, I guess for many people it's going to be negative, which is a separate question. But if we're assuming that, um, if, you know, if we're assuming you are a winning player in, in the field, your win rate is going to be somewhere between 0 and 10. So the kinds of edges that you should be thinking about passing up are, are small, like truly small, like a tenth of a big blind small. Um, we're not talking about folding you know, when, oh, I could make one big blind by calling here, but I'd rather uh, fold and, and wait for a better spot. Um, now, sometimes there are reasons to think 
I mean, no, so none of this is taking into account like ICM or, or like, this is only about your your future edge. It's not about, uh, I mean, there are separate reasons to care about survival in tournaments, which have to do with the, the payout structure of tournaments and that there's kind of a penalty for getting first place. Like you, you win all the chips, but you don't win all the money, as David Sklansky would put it. Um, and like, that's a separate reason to value your survival. But to, to, just thinking of it in, in terms of, um, of win rate, you know, we're not talking about folding when you have something like an, an edge of half a big block. So I think the the most important step here is just having an intuitive, like you don't want to just use, I want to survive as a proxy for, you know, I'm I'm just not ever going to make the call or or I'm not ever going to take the risk. Like taking risks is very often correct in, in tournaments. And one of the things that I like to remind people of is that, um, even when taking a risk, I mean, of course, if, you know, when you get all in, you increase your risk, your chance of getting eliminated on this hand. The thing is, if it's plus EV for you to get all in and you don't do it, or plus EV for you to risk a lot of chips and you don't do it, um, then you don't have those chips later. Like, I mean, making plus EV gambles, like this is, I mean, poker is a gambling game. (laughs) It is a game of skill, but it also involves gambling. So you're not going to be able to just like keep accumulating chips without risk. Um, You do have to take risks in order to accumulate chips. And if you don't take those risks, you don't accumulate chips, which is also risky because then it means you don't have chips later in the tournament. You get blinded down, you get to run a bad card, you get a bad beat. You know, even if you get aces, you, you know, you get all in pre-flop sometimes you get sucked out on or sometimes you get kings and someone else has ace like there's lots of ways that you can lose chips in essentially unavoidable situations and tournaments and the way that you protect yourself against that risk is by accumulating chips so that you have you know so like when that stuff happens it doesn't cost you your, your tournament life so what you're really doing when you pass up an edge um you're, you're kind of kicking the can down the road. You know, you're saying, I'm not going to get eliminated now. I'm going to decrease my chance of getting eliminated now, but I'm going to increase my chances of getting eliminated later <laughs> because I'm not going to have the chips that I could potentially win from making this, this plus EV investment. So I, I really think that the big mistake a lot of people are making is it's not so much, you know, how to gauge your edge in the future. It's about how to gauge your edge in, in the current spot. Um, and, and that math is not difficult to do. Um, you know, it, it just involves an equity calculator and, and playing around a little bit with ranges. Um, I guess the other thing that people struggle with in this situation sometimes is, um, is not knowing what range to put an opponent on. Which is reasonable, you know, like you you don't know, like that's why poker is tricky. <laughs> not only do you not know your opponent's hand, you don't even necessarily know the range of hands with which they would make a play. Uh, so what I encourage people to do when they're using equity calculators is to consider multiple possible ranges. Like I think if, if you're thinking about, okay, let's suppose, you know, I've, I've raised from the button and the big blind has gone all in, I'm thinking about whether I should call with like king queen. Um, I would encourage you to start with like a worst case scenario range for for the big blind. Say like this is the absolute tightest I think this this player might be, or I think like a reasonable player in the big blind might be. This is like an example of a tight shoving range. If king queen is still a call, even against the tight shoving range, then you're done. Like that's you know it, it only gets better for you if you make that player's range wider. So if if it's a call even against the tight range, that's all you need to do. Um, if it if it looks like calling would not be plus EV against the tight range, then you can um, continue to experiment. You can say, okay, well, so that's like the worst. If I have a reason to believe this is like a super tight player, then it would be correct for me to fold the king queen in this situation. Um, now let's think about 
what if this is like, what about a best case scenario? Like what's the widest I think a reasonable player might shove here? And then look and see is calling with king, queen plus EV. Uh, and if the answer is no, then now you can say, okay, well then it's just definitively a fold. Like basically no matter who I'm against, it's going to be a fold. Uh, often it's going to end up being somewhere in between. Like it, it's, it's a fold in the worst case scenario. It's a call in the best case scenario. And then you want to continue to fiddle around with it and see like, what are the things that really affect your EV and or really affect your equity? And what you're going to find is that um, a lot is going to hinge on like whether or not you put hands like King Jack and Queen Jack in the player's range. You know, a, a hand like Ace-Jack, you're not too far behind. A hand like Pocket Sixes, you're not too far behind. A hand like Jack-10 suited, you're not too far ahead. So none of those hands is really affecting your equity that much. What's really affecting your equity is uh, you know, hands like Ace-King and Ace-Queen that dominate you, but of course the player's going to be shoving those. Um, and then also hands like King-Jack and Queen-Jack that you dominate. So I think what you can find by doing that kind of experiment, like what you're ulti- the question you're ultimately trying to answer is not just like, when I min-raise King-Queen, off a 15 big blind stack on the button and the big blind shove should I be calling like that's too specific of a question to to worry about you want to get a broader sense of like how do I figure out like what if I have 14 big blinds what if I have 13 big blinds what if I raise from the cutoff what if it was a small blind who shoved you know like you need to be prepared for all those situations and you can't just memorize um calling ranges for every single one of those spots, you need to get an intuitive sense of like, how do I make this decision on the fly? And so what you'll find by doing that kind of work is that um, like the really central question to ask yourself, if you can say, okay, this player is definitely shoving the hands that dominate me, um, in order to, to make up for that, I also need the player to be shoving the hands that I dominate. So the question you'd want to ask yourself is, is this player shoving hands that I dominate and how many? So if when you have king-queen, you're asking yourself, well, is he shoving king-jack? Is he shoving queen-jack? If you're thinking about calling with king-jack, then you need to ask yourself, is he, is he shoving uh, queen-jack? Is he shoving jack-10? Is he shoving king-10? Again, it's like you need to look for the hands that you dominate, and that very often is going to determine your um, whether or not you should call. So yeah, I, I think a lot of people don't really know... Um, what to do with an equity calculator or like how to use one. And I think similar to a solver, you want to use it as a tool for conducting experiments. It's not about just trying to solve one given situation. It's about trying to understand, trying to like derive some useful heuristic about making poker decisions that'll help you in a lot of different spots. It's not just about trying to solve one specific spot. And I, you know, when you're actually playing and you have to make these decisions about valuing your survival and you know, when to take risks you want to to, you know, to to the best of your ability and these are going to be very rough estimates but you do want to try to estimate what is it worth for me to call here and also what will my edge be if i fold um how many hands am i likely to, to play after like you know if you have if, if you think like essentially you're, you're going to be able to survive another like 50 hands or something by folding and you know that your win rate is 10 big blinds per 100, you can expect that you're going to win five big blinds in those next 50 hands. I mean, maybe that that's like another way of, <laughs> of, of thinking about it. Like you're expecting to win a certain amount every single hand that you, um, that you play. But again, like that number does get lower as the tournament goes on, which I think is an important thing to understand. Um, okay, so covered a lot of ground there. Hopefully uh, that made sense and contained some information that was uh, useful to everyone. Thank you, Anne, for the interesting question. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Again, please do support the show, patreon.com slash thinkingpokerdaily. You'll get uh, daily strategy segments, as the name suggests. Uh, and now, please enjoy uh, my conversation with Santiago Garcia Mancilla. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Santiago, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you, Andrew. It's my pleasure to be here. You're one of my favorite podcasts and favorite poker authors. Uh, you are one of my favorite poker media personalities. <laughs> That's a lot for me. Thank you. <laughs> is that uh, is is that how you prefer to think of yourself? Uh, a, a, a poker media personality? What, how how what's your self described uh, job title? Yes, I'm like yeah, poker media, poker writer, live reporter. Yeah, that that would be nice. Live reporter. Uh-huh. I feel like you you do a lot more than live. I mean, so you you wrote the book. Um, I mean, I feel like you're you're reporting on a lot more than just live. Uh, I mean, you're, you're kind of reporting on on the the state of poker in in Latin America and in general. You're doing book reviews. Exactly. Yes. From twenty zero nine. That that that's when like twelve or fourteen years ago I started <laughs> writing. What was your introduction to to poker? So you're 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 born in Argentina, raised in Argentina. Exactly. Yes. Is is poker? I mean, was that something that you grew up with? Uh, yes, a cousin of me learned like learned how to play. I started to to play with cousins, and and then I, I read about Harrington, David Sklansky, and <laughs> it's like a new open, a new world open for me. It's wow, there are books about this, and I was very shocked and very happy. <laughs> So I started buying books on Amazon, and my poker, my poker journey started buying a Theory of Poker by David Sklansky. That's a good place to start. Yes, 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 yes. And the, the guy that I, I buy the book invited me to, to play with his friends. I never met him, uh, and we started playing like uh, once a week, once a month, and then we started going to casinos to play. It was like... My new best friends, I was like, <laughs> that was like, like Las Vegas for me. <laughs> I was going to casinos. I was super happy. And when I started writing to, to a few magazines that were at that time, then a couple of uh, sites, media sites. And, and then and, uh, when one, in one of those tournaments, uh, my life changed because I knew my wife. <laughs> so <laughs> poker gave me friends, family, and now a book. So I'm super grateful about poker. What's the, the casino situation in, in Argentina? Is it sort of, there's just you know, fully legal casinos with poker and table games and slot machines and everything? No, now we are fully closed. Uh, here we have a, a, a long quarantine. Like, or sorry, I, 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 didn't mean, I didn't mean because of COVID, just in general, like what is, ah. gambling is, is legal and... There, yes. there are casinos yes. only only exactly only in casinos they are the only one authorized to 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 run poker tournaments and is that um how does that compare to to elsewhere in latin america i'm really not terribly familiar with the, the poker landscape down there in brazil for example they don't have casinos they are illegal but they have uh, like poker clubs because in brazil poker is uh, like a sport for for law so you you can go to like a club and you're playing a, like a sports. It's it's very funny. No, no no casinos but but clubs. Um, okay, so you get started uh, with the, the the person who sold you the theory of poker. Uh, you start playing and exactly. I, I assume that I was mean, my first book. From from the fact that you're so into to poker books in general, I imagine you were kind of 
you, you liked books before you got into poker. Like it's not a surprise that uh, exactly. books were, were your entree to poker. Mm -hmm. I started with David Sklansky. It was a little bit confusing at the first. And then I read uh, Dan Harrington, and that was like my favorite books at that time. And you said you met your wife through poker? Exactly, yes. How did that happen? Uh, Ten years ago, uh, with a group of friends, we went to Rosario. It's like the biggest casino in Latin America. It's like a mall, but a casino with three floors is super, <laughs> super huge. And there was like a big tournament. At that time, they, they were freeze out, no re-entry. Mm -hmm. I'm talking like 10 years ago, no? And so, in, I was half an hour in the tournament. I have pocket kings, couldn't fold. Obviously, <laughs> my opponent has aces. And so, half an hour, I'm out of the tournament. And start planning things to do at night. Like, okay, I'm, I'm out of the tournament. <laughs> no poker for me, but let's have fun. Let's go out and, and, and have fun. And that night, I met a girl in, in a club, and we, uh, we have a, we say all the night talking, very, 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 very was, was super, super fun to talk with her. And, and I told her, if one of my friends uh, gets first, second, or third in the tournament, he will pay us the buy-in to come back the next month. Okay, okay, <laughs> she told me. <laughs> that, that, that will never happen. <laughs> tournament has like uh, 300 players was a big big tournament that day and <laughs> like destiny one of my friends came second in that tournament <laughs> he chopped and then pay us for for we were 10 that time he pay us uh, the, the buy-in for us to, to to come back one one month later and so i i, I called my new friend and, and tell her i will be back in one month you do you want to see me again yes of course call me and <laughs> we started dating like two years at distance uh, and all that, that that was hard and and she moved in she she was living in rosario another province in argentina and she moved in to buenos aires uh, and now we have two beautiful kids <laughs> that was 10 years ago yeah you know i i kind of think about this a lot when we talk about like a bad beat um you really don't know exactly whether you got lucky like and in, in, you know getting running those kings into aces may well have been the the, the most lucrative hand of poker you ever played Exactly. Uh, we, we have a saying here, uh, bad luck in, in, in gambling, good luck in, in love. It's like super naive, but <laughs> in, in this case applies. I think I remember hearing a story also about a guy. I think it was like you know uh, the the final table bubble, the main event or something. He was like he was having chest pains, but you know of course it's like huge huge money, so he didn't like leave and go to the hospital or whatever. And then he ended up you know I don't know it was a, a bad beat or you know something happened. He something kind of unlucky happened and he got eliminated. And he went to the hospital and they said that you know if he had waited a few more hours, he probably would have died. I, I, I'm not 100 percent oh. sure, but that's uh, I feel like I've heard that before. Yes, maybe, maybe. Impressive. Yeah. They, well, in in um, in this in this world of, of live reporting, I heard super uh, stories, great stories all the time. And, yeah. And, and, and I and I enjoyed so much about Las Vegas. You hear stories of. I remember in the twelfth, uh, uh, no, twenty fifteen, when white guys arrived the bubble with only one chip, one ante, and, and and in the moment the bubble burst, he 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 stood up. Uh, on the table and start screaming like like Tarzan, I survive! And it's <laughs> super funny. 
So the the live, I mean, I know obviously you've been to Las Vegas because we met each other there. But um, a lot exactly. of the live reporting that you do is is around Latin America. Yes, 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 yes. yes. I started here in Argentina, uh, and it's a hard uh, profession. I think maybe this is a, a good opportunity to tell the poker players, <laughs> respect the the live reporters, help them because they are like 12, 14 hours. They arrive at the tournaments like a, a couple of hours uh, before, and, and then they have to do like like, like a summary of the tournament, interviews. It's a, a hard job. So, Google, um, it's a good opportunity to to say the players, <laughs> respect them and, and help them because it's it's a it's a hard job. How how can we help you? <laughs> tell me your name. Tell me where you're from. <laughs> tell me your tip stack. <laughs> Be nice. <laughs> uh, there are many, 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 many good things to to, to help them. Uh, it sounds like you enjoy. I mean, d despite the long hours and everything, it, I mean, I, I can hear passion in your voice when you talk about it. Yes, yes, of course, of course. It, it's hard, but but uh, yes, yes, yes. And it, it's it's funny because when in Argentina uh, you have uh, tournaments all around the provinces, no. And, and maybe you are in, in a tournament in Corrientes that it's miles away from from Buenos Aires, and you have in the chat all the family. Hey, how my how my son is going? All the town <laughs> buy buy his his fee for the tournament. Come on! And it, it, it's very funny because you, you, and, and you you are the one informing them how he's going. So it's like uh, you're in the middle, and 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 I, and I love that. It's super nice. <laughs> How easy is it to get the, the interviews with players that you need? I mean, are, are most people pretty willing to do that, or do you have to kind of convince them? Mm, depends, depends. Uh, mostly, yes, they have no problem. But there are some cases that they don't want the, to know that they are playing the tournament. And mm. It's funny because if you win the tournament, <laughs> your picture will be in you know, the, the, the media side. So why are you playing this tournament? In, in secrets, <laughs> I found many many cases that no no picture for me no picture for me and come on man <laughs> it's my job well yes it happens. What um so I mean you talked about starting with with theory of poker and and the Harrington yes. books have have books continued to be I mean for your own poker playing have they continued to be the way that you're uh, improving as a player. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I I want to like uh, uh, not not only reading books, no, uh, seeing videos, uh, listening to podcasts, uh, listening to interviews, watching uh, other tournaments. It's like a mix. But the one that I enjoy most it's poker books, and I love that you have strategy books, you have bios, you have uh, novels, you have personal experiences, you have there. Plenty of books. Uh, I, I have to recall to to I, I did like like the first poker goat of poker books to to another podcast and it was a hard job to 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 select only sixty four books because there are many many of them. I was I mean I, I know there are some other poker book fans out there but you are certainly the biggest um, collector of poker books that I know and, and kind of the most knowledgeable about not just the the you know the mainstream like poker strategy titles but like you said the um, 
novels and uh, biographies of poker players and just kind of all the other media that's out there besides just the you know strategy books that are published by two plus two or dmb and whatever exactly because there's a big world out there and 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 for example you have a very good bio it's called once a gambler by mickey and mika antonen uh, an european player that it's great or or yes yesterday i finished reading a, a new novel that's called uh, the big blind about about a nun playing poker <laughs> that's that's super <laughs> funny and very entertaining the nun has to ha, ha, has to play tournaments because the 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 place where he's staying it's going to close so he start playing tournaments and playing cash games and dressed as a nun so it's super funny <laughs> and, and and maybe no, no one heard about that book because i i'm always looking like new titles in in, in amazon <laughs> to read yeah, I, I was going to ask you, what do you think are some of the most underappreciated poker books? You know, books that people listening to the show might enjoy, but probably have not heard of. Oh, tough, tough, tough choice. Uh, let's go by, if, if, let's go by subjects. Okay. Uh, bios, uh, I think uh, the best one is the one about Stu Unger, one of a kind. That's a classic. Uh, Godfather of Har- the Godfather of Poker by Dol Bronson, uh, Once a Gambler by Mika Antonen, uh, Poker Brat about Helmut, and uh, Life a Gamble uh, about Mike Sexton. That are the, the best bias for me. If we go to novels, I think Shut Up and Deal by Jesse May, King of a Small World by Rick Bennett, The Only Way to Play It by Peter Alson. Uh, a Poker Story, Greg Winnick, um, what more, uh, for the Spanish listeners, uh, Under the Gun by Diego Duenas. It's a, a, a guy from Venezuela. Very, it's the first novel in, in Spanish, <laughs> so that's, that's good. And maybe, like personal experiences, I will go to Maria Skonikovas, uh, The Biggest Bluff. That's great. It's a, going to be a classic in, in the future. Vegas or Bust by Johnny Campins. Thinking Poker Diaries by a guy called Andrew Brokros. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> I, I was going to say, we've had two of these authors on the show so far, but that, that one's on here quite a bit. <laughs> and also, uh, A Chip and a Prayer by Marvin, Marvin Carlins. That's very funny. That's, I think, one of the most funniest books I, I read. It has like strategy. And but but a lot of comedy. The, the book starts when when he talks to her wife and saying, "I'm going to go to Las Vegas and spend 50k playing poker." <laughs> That's how the way it starts. And all the discussion between him and his wife—it's hilarious. Have Have you met him, Marvin Carlins? Yes, yes he's a, he's an interesting in, in guy. Las Vegas. Uh huh. The Duckman. The Duckman. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And well, then, then you have like cash games, uh, tournaments, you have like many, many categories, many categories. And about, I, I also have to mention uh, oh, miss, uh, the classics, like from, from uh, all the classics, you know, like, uh, like, like, like all, all Al Alvarez, uh, all, you know, you have many authors to, to, to recommend, but uh, you can start with that. <laughs> <laughs> do you um, 
do you look for like older poker books? I mean, stuff that was published in the the fifties or the sixties, you know, kind of even before um, before Brunson. Mm, that's difficult to me because uh, I can read only Kindle books in Argentina uh, yeah. uh, because so many of of the older books uh, they, they don't have a Kindle edition, <laughs> only paperback, and that's that's hard to me. But <laughs> In the last time I went to Vegas, there's a place that is excellent to, to visit. It's called uh, Gambler's General Store. Do you know it? Um, I, I thought you were going to say Gambler's Bookshop, but I assume that it's no, related. It's similar, yes. Gambler's General Store in, in downtown. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I've actually never, I've never been to um, to either of those, which is bizarre. But I have not. No, you should go. It's very, very. It's like casino supplies, uh, mafia-related Vegas articles, and they have like a little section with books, and they have like books, like one buck, two bucks, three bucks. It's a plenty of books. <laughs> I remember buying like 15, 20 books the last time I, I, I was there. <laughs> I need a, a, an extra luggage to, to carry all the books I want. <laughs> but it, it, I, I recommend that place. Gambler General Store in, in, in downtown Las Vegas. Very nice place. How many times have you been to Las Vegas? Two. <laughs> Sorry, only two. But <laughs> I want to go <laughs> all years. But well, I, I depend on, on the sponsorships or, or, or in, in the media side that I work. Mm. We depend on that. <laughs> Hopefully, I can go back this year, but I don't know for sure now. What was what were your your first impressions when you came to Las Vegas? You know, what what were you expecting, and how did you find it? Yeah, the first time was like I'm I'm walking in in, in a movie set. Uh, you know, I, I watch all the Vegas Vegas movies related, and I I, I remember walking in from place walking in places and say, oh here they film like <laughs> Ocean's Eleven or you know remembering all <laughs> all scenes or Lucky You and this is I was super super excited walking there. It's it's a magic city. Yeah, and it, at least one time in your life you have to go. I think it's very 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 unique place. I was going to say, I don't know if there's quite anywhere else like it on Earth. I mean, I've never been to Macau, but I, my understanding is, is that Macau still has a, a pretty different um, vibe from from Las Vegas. Certainly Atlantic City exactly. feels very different than Las Vegas. Yes, they, they, they tell me so. It's like uh, more high rollers, more, more, more money, more... Uh, in Vegas, you can play tournaments like uh, Cash Lost Eggs. You, you can play tournaments for like uh, 100 bucks. It's, it, it's like... It's Disney World for, for poker players. You can stay there and, and play like a week. You can play hundreds of tournaments. You, you have to be prepared, I think. Uh, the last time I was in, in there, uh, I played some tournaments. And, and it's hard. The, the, the variance is very hard. I bubbled one daily deep stack, and it was very hard for me. <laughs> My, my my queens got cracked with pocket fives and all the one all all clapping because <laughs> the bubble and I have to go walk into the media room to work and it was ah oh, come on <laughs> this is this is hard and then well I discover cash games and, and it's fine it's fine because you you can play different hours it's more friendly I the first time I played cash games in Las Vegas and I I went I went nice. Uh, what, what, what was good? 
When you said that you need to be prepared for Las Vegas, I, I was going to say that um, one of the biggest things for me is you know, bringing food or knowing that, especially if I'm staying in a casino hotel, you know, knowing that I'm going to have access to food, that I don't have to eat anything from the, um, or I don't have to rely on you know the, the casino shops for like all of my meals. But then I remembered how much mate you brought with you. <laughs> so I, I guess you're on top of this already. Yes. Well, all the people were looking at in a strange way. What is that? <laughs> it's like a tea we, we drink all day in Argentina. It's it's like our coffee. And, and you like it. <laughs> I was surprised because uh, mostly never, never the like mate. But, but you like it. Yeah, it was wonderful. I mean, I've, I've had... I mean, it, it's not too hard to find yerba mate in the U.S. these days, but I don't think it was nearly as good as what you brought. Or I mean, because you had a whole a whole presentation to it. You had a special cup for exactly. drinking it. You had a special straw. That was, I mean, you, I, I could tell I was dealing with an expert. Exactly. Well, uh, and now with COVID, the, the rules of mate change. Now it's oh, one mate for one person. Right. <laughs> so the next time I will bring two mates, one for me and one for you. <laughs> Now, but it, it, it gives you energy and it, it's like a good friend of, of poker, especially in tournaments and cash games. When you are like 12 to 15 hours playing, mate, it's perfect. So when you see one mate, it's Argentinian or Brazilian or Uruguayan. <laughs> Only three options. Yeah, it, it was very nice for me. Um, you know, when I was, I guess it was maybe like day four of the main event. Um, and it's always a yeah. challenge for me because I'm, I'm really not a late night person. And so it's tr like I kind of rely, I need some sort of, you know, energy boost. But at the same time, it's tricky drinking caffeine at night because then like you do want to be able to go to sleep. Like once you, you, you want to be sharp for those last hours of play. But exactly. Then yes. Once you're finished, you want to be able to get to sleep right away. So uh, it was it was really one of my best memories, um, you know, other than all the money I won. <laughs> one of my best <laughs> memories of that tournament was you uh, bringing me bringing me mate on uh, late on day four of the of the tournament. It was a true lifesaver. Yes, I remember. And 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 when look at this, all the days you drink mate, you advance to the next day. And the only day you don't drink mate, you are busted. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, Incredible. You had such a nice uh, calming energy to you as well. Because I remember I was, I was sort of trying to drink it quickly because I didn't want to like waste your time or something. And you're like, no, relax, enjoy it, sit back, take your time. It was a very, exactly. you know, the, the mate was nice, but the, the, there was a whole like soothing presence to you which was a very good reminder for for live poker i mean that's just that's just good advice in general relax take your time well and and, and mate it's also that it's like an, an excuse to 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 go to a friend and to talk and to share like mate it's it's sharing it's friends it's talking and and that's the way we we met do you want to drink mate and and that's the way we started <laughs> yeah you, you showed up friends. at the um at the thinking poker meetup with uh, with Mate exactly. ready to share with with anyone who is willing to risk it, and you you were the only one who tried. I know there were also a few a few guys that, that also tried, but we couldn't uh, convince Carlos Carlos Welsh. The next time, Carlos, you have to drink Mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is your what is your own poker playing look like? I, I get the sense you don't get to do it as much of you don't get to do as much of it as you would like because you're uh, you're so busy with the media stuff. Yes, I know. No, no, not only media. I have two young kids, and it's impossible for me to go to a casino and play like tournaments from two days, and it's too many hours. I, I, I can't convince my wife to <laughs> to go and play poker. 
So no, I'll play online a bit, and, and I have two very good uh, group, group of friends. We play like once a month, and we have like uh, like a ranking. Every tournament have points, and we have like special prizes for the best ten of the year. Like we were playing like ten years ago, and we 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 have super fun. They, they are the one that we went to to the tournament to play. Oh, that same group of people. Exactly. Yes, we're playing houses, and it, it's like a home game. Yeah, but uh, well organized and, and with special prizes. We we have super fun all all, all months, and now we don't have it. <laughs> we miss all, all those those tournaments. We're here in Argentina. We have a long quarantine, and we're waiting to to only ten people can reunite here. Mm-hmm. Are you able so, to to play no on Zoom or on uh, on an app or anything like that? We try, but it's not the same. Yeah. We, we like to share, to share a dream. Here we, we, we eat asado, it's like meat, roasted meat. And we like all that. Not, not only playing cards, but to share, to, to have love. And online, it's not the same. Yeah. We try and only three months and what that was done. <laughs> How old are your kids? They have four and three years. So I, I guess they're kind of just just starting to play games. They're probably not doing anything that's that's too interesting to you yet. They, they play with my chips and my cards, but <laughs> no, no, no. Only passes for them for now. But I will I I will lend me my, my poker books. I, well, one one of the stories I wrote is it's like a father that have her kid playing poker, and it's like obviously it's like a, a desire of me you know, <laughs> to. <laughs> To learn to the, the game, but well, we'll see, we'll see. No, no, no hurry. I feel like I was. Um, you've, you've probably seen me mention before my, uh, my my cousin's kids, who I spent a lot of time with. I think the youngest one of them was maybe only about four. I mean, it was really his older brothers who were more interested in poker, but he he kind of played with us because they were. And um, in fact, I remember he he was just going all in every hand. And um, his his brothers were getting annoyed, you know, of like that, that was not fair or something. And I kind of wanted them to like see why that was like why that wasn't a winning strategy. So like, I, I was I was kind of hoping that they would like strike on on the problem with that strategy, but um, they just got annoyed, which is actually how a lot of live poker <laughs> live poker players respond so, as well. <laughs> A, a little maniac, like a super loose style. I like it. Yes, uh, that that has persisted <laughs> as he's gotten older. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so, what what compelled you to write a poker book of your own? Uh, okay, well, I love poker books, and it was like a dream for me. I, I want to have my book, and so maybe I'm not a super player with a lot of, of experience. But I like to, to write like short stories or, or, or tales, and, and so I think we, we don't have any book in Spanish with, of short stories on poker, so this is the first one. I'm, I'm super proud of it. And all started with a, a journalist here in, in Argentina that have like a, a poker program in, in YouTube, and he writes on, on his Twitter like like in short tales or, or short thoughts about poker. And, and I told him, hey, you, you should compile uh, all these tales and, and make him uh, a little book. His name is Matias Cesari from, from Loken in Argentina. And he answered me, come with me, uh, and when, when we, we can do it together. <laughs> that was last year, <laughs> six months ago. Um, we started writing. Uh, 
I, I, I passed him, him my, my, my short stories. I, he passed me, and like in six months, we have like 20, 10 short stories from me and 10 tales from him. And you say, okay, we have it. <laughs> Let's do it. And then happened uh, something that was another time. It's like destiny because Damon Salas from Argentina uh, uh, was the like, like in international final table to Ospadov, the main event, a World Series of Poker. And, and he traveled alone, but he, he, he go with, like, with a little bracelet, but of, of paper that his young kid uh, fabricated him. And he, and he said, Daddy, you will win one bracelet this year. And he <laughs> took the, the bracelet to, to Raspadoc. And he won and then go to Las Vegas to play the heads up with Joseph Hebert and won again. And if you see the pictures, you have him with the flag, the bracelet, and the, 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 the bracelet of, of paper down. It was super, super emotional. So I... I, I think I, uh, I said, okay, I, I have to write about this. <laughs> so I write a, a short story and sent him to, to Damien. And Damien loved the, the short story. He said, oh, you, you make me cry. I love <laughs> it. The best, the, the best gift you, you can make it. So I told him, okay, Damien, you love it. Write me an introduction for my book. <laughs> so we have, it, we have it in the book. It was like uh, perfect, perfect for, for, for distribution because... Uh, I, I have a lot of people who knows me, but like a media. But having Damien on the book, it's it's great. It was, uh, it's super proud of that. How did you how did you publish the book? Like, was it self published or? Yes, exactly. Yes, I start reading short books. How to publish your book on Amazon in one week and <laughs> <laughs> similar similar stuff. Uh, now I have some some help. Like a, a publishing for for independent authors, and yes, all all by we we create like the social media channels for for the book. We start to 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 book uh, like uh, uh, famous players to to read the book and, and and have okay, you like the the stories? Give me some some feedback to put in the book. It was all 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 by by ourselves, and. And, and hear this: the, the day that the book uh, was on Amazon live, I, I go out uh, of my house and I and I see Damien Salas <laughs> next to my house. <laughs> it was super incredible. I say, Damien, what are you doing here? Because he lives in in, in Chascomús, like in, uh, miles away from from Buenos Aires. And I say, and he told me he was was looking to to flats to to invest and so, see. <laughs> How are the odds to 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 meet you this day? It was <laughs> incredible, incredible. I only meet him in, in Las Vegas or in poker tournaments, but that's it. <laughs> Not at, at my house, the next <laughs> next door. It's like all when you. It's all meant to be, you know. Like destiny. Okay, that 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 was my book and my life. <laughs> With all poker books, yeah. it all started with one poker book, and now it finished with my poker book. It's <laughs> like a complete wheel. <laughs> well, hopefully, it's not finished yet. Now, uh, okay, by now, by now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the yes, hoping I hope it, it, it's the first one of, of many more. But yeah, we we are we are started with this one. And the book is only in Spanish. Only Spanish for now, yes. So someone told me you can translate to, to English and we'll see, we'll know. First start with, with the Spanish audience 
Eh, it's named Cuentos y Relatos de Poker. You can find it on, on Amazon. And they have uh, 20 short stories and, on poker. It's like a mix between uh, 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 real events and, and, and also a little bit of, of myself. <laughs> But it's like a mix. <laughs> One of the short stories is Bounders uh, 2. I imagine Mike playing in Las Vegas, like the continuation of, of the movie, for example. That, that was nice. Do you think that there's anything um, specific or unique about the way uh, Latin American or, or maybe Argentinian players specifically um, a- approach poker? I mean, is, is there like a, I don't know, a stylistic difference or, or, or a difference you think in, in the way people think about it or play? Mm, yes, I think they play with with more passion. Uh, they, they they feel more more, more the game. <laughs> they get involved in hands <laughs> that that have obviously positive aspects and, and negative aspects. <laughs> they are like more aggressive, especially Brazilian. Brazilian players are super aggressive. Argentinian also. Uh, you have Ivan Luca, for example, uh, Andres Corn, uh, Nacho Barbero, uh, all aggressive players that that, that have success. And, and and they play with passion, I think, and and maybe it's because of our culture. <laughs> I don't know, but it's like they have passion for for the game. Yeah, this reminds me um, of a very long time ago. You used to be able to set your own location on Poker Stars, so you could just put it like you could put in Brazil as your location. Like I could, if I even if I'm in the United States, and um, Brazil was a good one to put in because no one would ever believe that you had anything if you said you were from Brazil. <laughs> and I still, exactly. I mean, when I play online now, like if I'm playing on on America's Card Room, there's a lot of Brazilians on there. And uh, before I fold, I always like check the country where the person is from, and then if they're from Brazil, I like you know rethink whether i really want to make that fold <laughs> <laughs> exactly well and and in live tournaments for example in brazil uh, you will see that the players are uh, if they are if one player is all in he stand up and, and start uh, like shaking the the or, or shouting come on dealer give me a 10 give me an ace and you don't see that in, in american players It's like a, a Latin energy. <laughs> and is, is that more like socially acceptable there? Because I, I mean, I would say you yes. do sometimes see it in the U.S., but people don't like it. You know, it's it's kind of people are gonna, you know, some people might even yell stuff at you. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Here it's like more, 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 more common, more common. Uh, if they lose, they it's very common. To, they go like uh, <laughs> saying bad words to their player. <laughs> That's very common. <laughs> The, only bad words no 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 violence <laughs> only verbal violence but yes 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 they, they throw the chips uh, yes yes that happens a lot who do you think are, are some of the underappreciated um latin american players maybe people who aren't well known um outside of latin america who you think are kind of like very good or up and coming Yeah, well, here we have a lot of them. Uh, for example, Uruguay, you have Fabricio Gonzalez, uh, Melogno, Joaquin Melogno, another one. Uh, well, here in Argentina, we have a lot of, a lot of, well, the three Blazer winners we have, they are three excellent players. Uh, I don't know if you know them. Uh, Ivan Luca, uh, Andres Korn, and, and well, obviously, Damian Salas. That are, now you know, like, main event champion, but... <laughs> before this title because perhaps you never heard of him 
uh, well in Brazil you have a lot of them you have uh, Akari you have uh, oh, many many players no no I don't want to to, to name them because I, I will forget <laughs> a lot of them but no yeah this is we have many 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 big players here um the the first one you mentioned uh Fabrizio Gonzalez uh, that's uh six mm-hmm. six cents 19. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, he has. Uh, I mean, I, I would say he is known. Uh, it, at least uh, it, it, to, to me, he's known. But it's sort of notorious. Like, I mean, he's. I think been banned from Poker Stars. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. He have a a trouble there. Uh, I don't know if no, they they fixed. But he plays now so a lot of in, in GG Poker all the time, Super High Rollers and all all the big events. But yes, 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 yes. He was banned from from Poker Stars. Yeah, I, I played with him. Um, on I think it was day two of the the 2019 main event, and he was uh, a extremely difficult opponent. Aggressive, I think. Yes. No? <laughs> yeah, he was he was in a lot of pots, which was I mean, on the yeah. one hand, it, it is you know wrong. Like I mean, I, I think he was doing things that um, at least with with you know a good player at the table were were probably negative EV. I mean, they might have been good other you know, relative to other opponents at, at the table, but like exactly. But they increase your variance a lot, so it's still like you know having him behind me with a lot of chips. Like even knowing that he's making calls, and they might be calls that are bad for both of us and good for everyone else <laughs> at the table. You know, that, that's a thing that happens also. But you know, it was just that knowledge of like it, it was scary because it's sort of like I know like he really could just kind of have anything and like is aggressive enough that he i mean it didn't really end up happening because we weren't together for that long but it is that knowledge of like even though i know he's making mistakes it's still like scary having him there because it's just like creating the possibility that you know uh i lose it all exactly well i think one year uh 2012 i think he made uh, he was 45 in the main event I think was his, his special result, but he has a uh, yeah many caches and very good player, very 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 dangerous player. Where have you uh, traveled in in Latin America either to to play or to cover poker? I was mostly in Argentina, many provinces the inside Argentina, uh, also Brazil, but but no, no not big tournaments. I was in vacation and, uh, and uh, I was there and I was playing also with some clubs like uh, Bucios or Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And the States, I think that are my three countries. Okay. So you, Argentina, States and Brazil. So a, a lot of like when, when you're covering these events, it's mostly like online coverage. You're not necessarily like going in person to, um, you know, like Costa Rica no, or something yeah. like that. No, 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 no. Mostly in Argentina, but we go to to the provinces. It's, it's like one hour drive or two hour drives, five top. But it's near. You can go by in, in a car drive. But yes, we we travel. No, no, we are in the exact location of the casino, but inside inside Argentina. Okay. Um, when you're. Is, is is writing something that you've worked on kind of in the same way that you have poker? I mean, have, have you kind of studied writing, read books about writing, etc.? I don't know. I don't read many books. I, I read uh, Stephen King's. Oh, that's obviously. a great one, yeah. 
Yes, and, but no, no, no. It's like it's very new for me. It started last year. Oh wow! <laughs> and so it's like uh, writing all the time. And okay, this can work. This no. I have like many uh, open stories that 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 could make like in in a second book or third book. And and but I choose like the best ten to 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 put in in this book. Mm-hmm. But I think I, I have material to, but I have to work on it. <laughs> Yeah, but yes, I think it's it's like a, a good starting point. But I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, and I think that is really the best the best way to get better at it is just to do a lot of it. You know, a lot of people, myself included, um, you know, you can spend a lot of time like reading books about writing and watching YouTube videos about writing, and uh, exactly. a lot of that time you, you have to sit down. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of that time would probably be better spent just sitting and doing the writing yourself. Rather than- Exactly. You have to put the hours right, right. And in my case, I do it at night when my two kids are sleeping, my wife is sleeping. It's like the best time for be calm only with me and my computer, my books and, and, and write. It's like the best moment of the day, like quiet, quiet mm-hmm. silence and, and me and my computer. It's, it's, it's excellent. And my mate also. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Do you play other games besides poker? Uh, yes, I like uh, like card games like uh, Monopoly, all 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 those uh, the, the the famous ones, and and I like to play other card games. In Argentina, we have one the, uh, that it's named Truco, but it's played with the Spanish cards. That's like the most popular game here in Argentina. It's like in the states you play poker, in Argentina you play Truco. <laughs> That's the name. And how are Spanish cards different? Uh, another symbols, uh, less cards. It's like 40 cards instead of the 52. Interesting. And other symbols, instead of uh, or, or clubs, you have like gold or, or, or like cups. It's four different symbols. And, and it's play like two versus two or three versus three. It's like a team game. Now that you mentioned this, I, I have uh, a friend in Spain, a poker friend, um, who I, I think did show me Spanish play. I think we, we played a game of Spanish playing cards once. It sounds familiar now that you're mentioning the, the gold in the cups. Exactly. Well, that, that are the Spanish cards. And it has a lot of bluffing because you can win without showing your hand. So the, the, the good poker players generally are good truco players because they, they, they are good bluffers. Is there anything that uh, that you were hoping to talk about that we haven't gotten around to yet? No, no. It's a pleasure to, to talk with you and maybe to, to all the ones that uh, they would like to write to come on, sit down, and, and you can write your own book. If I could write my book, you can write a book. So if you like uh, writing about, about whatever you want, uh, I think you... you like you can do it, man. <laughs> Sit down and, and write because the, the, when you see the work done, when you see uh, when you have your book in your hands with, with the cover you designed and, and all the work done, uh, like the feeling is, is, is super nice and I like it a lot. Well, I think the, the way that you did it is great also because I think you know, the idea of writing a book is very daunting, uh, intimidating. But um, writing a story, you know, anybody can write a story, and exactly, they can write. Yes. Lo- all you have to do is write lots of stories, and then you have a book. Exactly. Yes. 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 No, and we, we found like a subject here that, that it's new, and, and that's good because we in, we have some strategy books in, in Spanish, mm-hmm. but we have zero books on, on, on short stories. 
So it's like a good uh, way to 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 set up to the other poker players. So here you 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 don't have a strategy. You you have entertainment. You have like a, a break from all the grinding live or online. Like sit down, uh, have a mate, and, and read a short story. Only 100 pages. It's perfect to to have a break from from poker, but uh, ha, ha, have a laugh. No, also, uh, it, it, I think it, it's nice. All, to all the all the players listening that uh, can read Spanish, come on, read 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 cuentos y relatos de poker. That you you will like it. Yeah, I mean, I think even in English, I'm only aware of one collection of short stories about poker, which is uh, he played for his wife. Yes, exactly. Yes, uh, and there is another one, uh, in, like crime short stories on poker. Okay. It's uh, Dead Man's, I think. Dead Man's Hand. That, that, that is a good name for. <laughs> 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 exactly. Under the Gun was a good one. Also, well, I hadn't heard of that one, but that's a pretty obvious title. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, the, that novel is great because it happens also in in Venezuela, uh, like rig games and oh. violence and mafia. It's it's very very like 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 the trauma it's very 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 good i recommend it also (laughs) under the gun yeah i do think it's a little um i mean obviously you have a better sense of this than i do but how much of poker you know literature and also movies and things tend to focus on that element of it you know cheating or crime or obviously it's very dramatic but i think that was one of the things that i liked about uh peter elson's the only way to play it um i mean there was a little bit of that but it wasn't as like the 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 central drama of the book or the central tension of the book was not really around that in in the same way which i mean i think there's a lot of other things that are interesting and dramatic about poker besides just the possibility of uh getting cheated or the possibility of having somebody pull a gun exactly exactly well i I think that that novel is great you have a mafia character but it's like a side in it's not uh, a main character. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the the players that play cash games. I think they they will love the novel. It's very very. very I, I like it a lot. Yeah, and I think kind of the, the the really central conflict in the book is probably between like the author and his wife, or maybe the author and his father. It, it's not exactly. it's not primarily about the um the the crime or, or the cheating or anything. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, th- that happened a lot in the movies. It's a pity because we have very few. Good poker movies, uh, rounders. I think uh, I can name like five only good poker movies because uh, they are all like all the drama. They are not real. Yeah, I should have asked you that. What are um, you know po- poker poker movies? Any recommendations there? What are, What are the five? <laughs> well, there there is one that's called El Juego de Luna. It's Spanish. And, and it's very real. It's Luna's game in in, in in English and El Juego de Luna in in Spanish. If you can find them on YouTube or, or any website, it's very good, very real. Uh, it's 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 uh, and the the main character is a girl. That, that that was that was cool also. Um. And there is another movie named Intacto. That it's not all. It's not about poker, but it's about a chance, you know, like mm-hmm. luck. People that maybe can have luck in, in in their lives. It's very interesting. They make like super extreme games, like to to cross a highway with their eyes closed, or or make a race in 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 a in a forest with their eyes closed. So 
uh, they can survive uh, the, the, the guys that have lack. <laughs> it's very interesting. I, I remember when you were talking about um, or encouraging people, you know, to, to write a book. One of the things that I find encouraging is just to walk into a bookstore um, because it can be uh, if you read like great literature. I mean, you read uh, some of the best books that have ever been written or something. You know, it's very intimidating to think, you know, I'm, I'm never going to write as well as uh, Fitzgerald or you know something like that. But um, mm -hmm. you walk into a bookstore and you look around and you're like, all these people wrote. I can write better than some of these people, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. You are absolutely right. Yes, exactly. Uh, and you, you can write about what you want or what you like. Uh, there are people who, 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 who read books about any subject. So it can be poker related or can be something that you are good about. And, and you can make a short book about that, upload to Amazon and, and sell a few hundred copies and, and make some money extra doing something you want. So it's win-win. The, the situation i like it a lot do you have any favorite books outside of poker just you know about some other subject or novels or whatever that you like yes yes i would recommend uh, carlos ruiz Zafón, uh, the shadow of the wind it's a classic of spanish literature it's like uh, in it all happens in barcelona in, in the 50s it's it's great it's I, it's one of my, my favorite books and, and the author passed away la, last year and it's, it was the first time I cried when 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 an author died wow. <laughs> that uh, a book yeah, yeah, it was incredible I, I found myself crying because my my one of my favorite book poker authors would, was was dead and another one uh, the name of the wind uh, Patrick Rothfuss that one that one I read classic. I, I can uh, second that that was excellent. <laughs> We are waiting volume three for, for years. My, my, my patience is, is, is getting lost. <laughs> yeah, that, that book was recommended to me. Um, it was actually the, the roommate, the Spanish friend that I mentioned earlier, um, the, who, who introduced me to the Spanish playing cards. His, uh, his, his roommate ah, okay. recommended The Name of the Wind to me, and I had no idea that it was part of a trilogy. Even as I was reading it, I didn't know that it was part of a trilogy. And I, I finished it, and I was like, oh, there's more like <laughs> and then, yeah so like the, more longer the, the second one had already been published or i think maybe it had just been published so i read the second one but then i was i've been waiting years for, <laughs> for the third one exactly. i felt like it, it, it was, was sort of a cruelty that, 10 years ago yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's a pity because such great books there are many rumors they say they are waiting for like a tv show to to get published and then they will they will publish the third book. I don't know. He, he's been doing some promotional book. stuff recently. Um, I, I, I get the sense that it is close. He, he started talking about it a lot on Twitter, and he's done some like YouTube videos and things answering questions about it. It, it seems like he's starting to, to ramp up the, the promotion. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I, will, I will pray for, for the third book. <laughs> and another one, another book I remember now, it's called uh, Milagro en los Andes. Uh, you, you heard about the, the, the Los Andes uh, tragedy, the, the plane that got crashed in, in, and stayed in, in the mountains? Yes. Well, there was a rugby team that survived like 90 days in, in, in the snow, and two of them <laughs> go walking all through Chile <laughs> to, to, to save their friends. It's a, a true story. And one of those two, two guys wrote the book Milagro in Los Andes. Uh, it's Nando Parrado, his name. 
I think it's a, there is a, an English version, I think. There's a translation. But it's great to, to read all, the tra- all, 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 all what he was there in the mountains in first person. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, I think well, that book was great also. For, um, for short stories, have you read Borges? Yes, of course. Yeah, it's a classic here. Yeah, I figured. Uh, yeah, Labyrinths, I think, is, is fantastic. I haven't read uh, yeah, all of his stuff. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I like Borges a lot. Well, uh, an author in Argentina that I love, uh, it's Eduardo Sacheri. Uh, he won an Oscar for uh, The Secret of the, of the Rice. I don't know if you've never heard it. El Secreto de Tus Ojos, The Name of the Rice, yeah. won like Oscar for Best uh, Foreign Movie. And was one of his books, and he started writing short stories about football, about soccer, and it's great. I love him, Eduardo Sacheri. Awesome, thank you. Uh, anything else that you want to um, to to leave people with? Uh, no, the last things maybe uh, turn turn off the television, stop watching Netflix, and and, and read more books. <laughs> we need people to to read more books. The, the, I think. Oh, all, all people are wasting their time on, on their smartphones, their tablets, their, their stupid games, their social media, and, and you can sit down and read a book. It's one of the biggest pleasures uh, of the life, I think. And, and, and we need to, to, to have more people reading books. I think we're, they're getting beside the, the, the books. Netflix and, and Disney and Hulu and all the apps <laughs> going there. And I think we're wasting too much time on that. I think uh, we, we, we need to read more, to do more sports, to, to connect more with other people, to our child, to our friends. Uh, I think we need more, more human interaction, more real human interaction. When, when this virus, of course, <laughs> goes away. But if you can, like you with, with your nephews or with your cousins, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, just, went to see them, I just went to see them last week for the first time in, in a year and a half. It was very nice. Okay, that's nice. And see, well, we, we, we need more, more of that, I think. That, that's the, the important thing. No, 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 no. No Netflix, no social media, no stupid movies. I think we need to 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 connect more, to to hug more, to talk more. And for me, it's it's time for that. I think we we have to battle for for that. I, I was gonna uh, ask you where people can follow you on social media, but that seems like the wrong question to ask now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, they can find me, uh, <laughs> Santi J Ocho, on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, and well, I, I write in, in Pokerlogia also, the, that's the website. Um, and you can find the book in uh, Cuentos de Poker. Uh, maybe in the future I will translate my, my short stories to, to English. <laughs> if we have some sales, maybe <laughs> we can do that. You never know. I, I don't think I'm good enough to translate, but if you want somebody to look at the translation after it's been, uh, been translated and, and give you comments, I'll be happy to help. Okay, okay, thank you. It's good, good, good to know. Uh, well, it's so good talking to you again, Santiago. Hopefully we'll uh, have a chance to see each other, uh, if, if not this year in Las Vegas, then sometime soon. Exactly. And well, if you are planning to have some trip to Argentina, let me know and we'll have some asados and some mate and we have very good food here. That sounds good to me. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Okay, take care, my friend. Really, really nice pleasure to talk to you, you as well. Bye bye.
I know you won't. 